This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is Betsy Ward, President and CEO of the USA Rice Federation. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance, America's sugar farmers, practicing sustainability to protect the environment and support jobs, communities, and consumers. Learn more at sugaralliance.org. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with the rice industry's Betsy Ward next. America's sugar farmers have spent decades investing in sustainability. Being good stewards of the environment and protecting our air, land, and water is a personal mission for sugar growers. Many of America's sugar growers are multi-generational farmers, and sustainability means a great deal more than just preserving this legacy. It also means supporting sugar workers, healthy communities, and the consumers who rely on this essential ingredient. The sugar industry's commitment to sustainability is a commitment to a brighter future for us all. And it's made possible by America's no-cost sugar policy. Learn more at sugaralliance.org. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Like other commodities, the rice industry has ridden the cyclical wave of U.S. agriculture. Betsy Ward, president and CEO of the USA Rice Federation, says the global market consumes half of the crop that her farmers and industry provide. Ward says it's a competitive market with a lot of trade barriers. Every country that grows rice protects their rice farmers, and so there's a lot of trade barriers that we face, and we've been really working hard to knock those down, but the trade picture was had not been so great, and you couple that with low prices and actually competition of imports coming into our country from other rice-growing regions, and it was a, it was a pretty tough time. Uh, I think that part of the reason that we're here and we're the National Trade Association in D.C. is we work very closely with Congress and the administration, and, you know, the Farm Bill has really been a key to keeping our guys in business, frankly. The PLC program has worked for what it was designed to do, but they'd much rather be profitable than rely on that, you know, so it's been tough. So did your trade issues come because of a trade war or were these natural obstacles that you've always faced from either customers or competition? Most of the market access that we've gotten for rice, if not all of it, has been through trade agreements because, again, the domestic rice, you know, most countries grow some rice, even Mexico grows rice, right? So before NAFTA, we had no access to the Mexican market. And NAFTA, and then, you know, U.S. continuing with USMCA, basically lowered the tariffs to zero, and therefore we were able to build a market. We could not have done that in the absence of a trade agreement. The same is true with Colombia. We, the FTA with Colombia really helped our industry because prior to that time, the tariffs were so high, we couldn't get into that market, and, the, and that agreement brings the tariffs down over time. And if you look at the Asian markets where we export Japan, Korea, Taiwan, all of those had to make concessions and allow some U.S. rice in as part of their WTO agreements. They didn't want to do it and sort of limited in those markets to whatever was negotiated in the trade agreement. So we're always looking, frankly, for free trade agreements to help our industry. We want, for example, a U.K. free trade agreement will be very beneficial to us. We do sell a lot of rice to the U.K., but we could sell more if the, the, the structure of trade was changed. So there's only a handful of markets internationally that we just get into naturally. Canada is one. Canada is one where we have pretty good access, and they, they 
eat a lot of rice and they don't grow any rice, so they consequently don't try to protect it. But if you look around the world, it's very difficult for us to open new markets without the help of trade agreements, the U.S. government, etc. Undersecretary McKinney had suggested Africa as an opportunity and seeing a, a, a real potential there for U.S. agriculture. Other commodity groups have mentioned that that might not be an overnight market, but an eventual market. Is that also one that appeals to the rice industry in the U.S.? Yes. Africa actually consumes and imports a tremendous amount of rice. Nigeria imports a lot of rice, uh, mostly from Southeast Asia, mostly not from us. Uh, We actually face a pretty high tariff there. Kenya is another rice-consuming country and importer, so we're very supportive of all the efforts that are going to go into a Kenya free trade agreement. So, yes, Africa holds a lot of promise for us, but, again, we don't face a level playing field there, so we really need a good trade agreement. I mean, one of the things that we as an organization have worked on for years, and I think I can say that we are finally seeing some progress, is the fact that that those other exporters in the world of rice have a true advantage because of their domestic support programs that we can't compete with. And so they are able to sell their rice at much lower prices than we can. We are the the highest cost producer in the world. And most of it is because of subsidies that are beyond their WTO allowable limits. So we've been working for years to get our government to look at that. And I have to say that that's finally happening. You know, there's a WTO case that we won along with wheat and corn against China and their domestic support programs. We're pushing for one on India as well. They are now the number one exporter of rice in the world, and they subsidize input costs. And, you know, there's a whole host of things that they do to allow them to be so competitive internationally. So we're not only sort of shut out of markets by high tariffs and other trade barriers, we're competing in an unfair playing field. So that's a that's a big issue for us. Betsy, if I count good news stories as late, it seems that I can find USA rice in the headlines, and that would include places like China and Brazil and, and even Iraq. Correct. So <laughs> we another one we've been working on for decades was China, and You know, this administration has been very helpful in finally getting us to a point where we could legally sell rice to China, and that required a phytosanitary agreement, which we didn't have, and so we worked very hard. Some of the requirements were way above and beyond anything we've ever had to do for any other country, but we did it, and they finally signed the agreement in 2017. But it took a couple years because of all the trade tensions, you know, so the, the, the Chinese folks that wanted to import rice, I think, were maybe curtailed a little bit when there was a trade spat with the U.S. But the, on the good news front, we just sold and delivered our first sale into China. It's packaged rice, so it's not it's not a bulk shipment. It's, it's actually packaged here in the United States. It's medium grain rice from California we'll go into a grocery store in China for the first time, and we're really pleased. And we had a tremendous amount of help from USDA, from USTR, and also from the, the folks, the USDA folks over there in China really helped us a lot. From the reaction of this first small shipment, are there indications that suggest there will be more shipments and higher volumes? Yes. We um, actually kind of ironically, partially because of COVID and we can't go to you know visit our customers overseas, we've been doing a series of webinars and we had one 
the night before we announced the sale, we had one in China that we were all on with about 110 end user importers and other interested parties in China talking about our crop, how we grow it, you know, all just sort of going through here where the rice industry and the interest there is quite high. And we had a lot of questions about uh, what would it take for us to import? And we're, we we could respond and say, you can do it now. You know, it's legal. You can hear, you know, you can contact us for more information. So, and we know there's a lot of interest. We've been going to trade shows for years in China and meeting with importers, and there there is interest there. So we do think this is the first step, hopefully on a long road of opening a brand new market. Can you so be price com- can you be price competitive in that market? Not in not as a not in huge quantities that they buy, let's say from Vietnam or from other countries, but in the at least initially we can be competitive in sort of a more high-end market, the retail market, uh, because they do understand that they're buying a product that's safe and reliable and sustainable and all those good things that go into, you know, U.S. agriculture. They they understand that, and the consumer really does want it. So we will be competitive in that sector, and I think that will lead to other opportunities. When we talk to... Uh uh, Dan Hostrom with the U.S. Meat Export Federation a few weeks ago, he suggested one of the joys that they're finding, not just in China but in the other countries uh, where uh, U.S. beef is uh, now available, is that the consumer is calling for it and pulling through. There's so much click yeah. shop that's going on there that now the, the global uh, market is open to those customers, and they're calling for U.S. Yep. product, and, and is that the case now that consumers are exposed to the quality you have and they're calling their government to let more of it in? I think so. I mean, I think that's what where we're headed, and I think just getting this first sale, it's going to be heavily publicized. We're making sure of that. So, And again, as I said, we have a whole network of, of interested importers that have been to the United States. They were all here last year, went to you know all the rice states, saw rice production, went to mills understood how we're, you know, our, our safety protocols. And, and so there is there is a ready customer base, I believe. And it's just a matter of, you know, the Chinese government, I think, flipped on the green light and said, okay. And so once that happens, I think, I think we're in great shape. With regard to Brazil, once competitor and now customer, that has to be a good piece of news. Can that be a lasting trend? I would say it's a good piece of short-term news, and you know Brazil has traditionally come in and out of the market, and it's really a function of their own domestic production and what they need, and they've had a pretty rotten year in terms of weather, and they've also, I think because of COVID, been shipping more rice around the world, so they have a short supply at this point. So we have shipped about 200,000 metric tons this year, but we'll have to wait and see till next year. I, I, you know, th- Again, the history of it is very... Sporadic. So one year they're in, five years they're out. One year they're in. It's 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 more of a hit or miss kind of situation. But certainly it is a welcome market for the short term. Betsy, this is a question from the global perspective first, and then we're going to turn our attention domestically. But from the global perspective, whether because of COVID or not, do you notice patterns or trends of global consumers? that may be an opportunity for the rice industry and the domestic producer? Yes, I think, and I don't know that it's really all COVID-related, although we have seen an uptick in demand in Central America, for example, that we think may be because of 
similar. We'll talk about what's happening here in the United States, but you know, people are buying more products off the retail shelf as a protection. They want to make sure they're stocked up on staples. So there is some of that. But I think longer term, there's opportunities that we see in some big markets like Iraq, for example, which is a, is a huge importer of rice. And again, we've, we've worked very hard and our government has done a great job helping us just to have that become more of a stable market, not, again, not sort of in with a big, a big import number and then out of the market for a year. So we're trying to develop a more steady flow of trade and we've, we have a, a memorandum of understanding with the Iraqi trade ministry between the State Department and them that, that says, you know, we want to be a reliable supplier, but we want you to be a reliable customer. If that really comes to fruition, I think that's a great steady market, and, it's, and they buy high-end um, high milled rice, and so it's a, it's a very positive thing for us. So coming into 2020, you, along with other commodity groups, as you mentioned, had been in a downturn, and we were struggling with regard to farm income, and then this thing called COVID hit. With regard to COVID, how did it affect your producers and your industry? But more importantly, if there is any kind of a silver lining in this cloud, what if we noted about the U.S. consumer during this COVID crisis, if you will? Well, uh, it w- <laughs> yeah, I think that it was a very sudden. I-, I don't think we're alone in this. I know just talking to my other colleagues in the, you know in the meat industry and other you know the egg- people were hoarding eggs and he- people rice was one of the products that people went into the grocery store and said, well, instead of buying one box of rice i'm going to buy five you know uh what people there was a big uptick in what people would normally buy and this really hit hard in march and april but at the same time obviously our our restaurant business fell off the cliff um and you know we i think about 30 percent of what we sell in the domestic market goes into food service so so it, it the counterbalance was the 30 percent increase in grocery sales right so and we we feel like that's going to continue. Obviously, that spike didn't continue, but there still is a pretty steady uh, increase in in rice consumption. And so, part of that is people are staying at home, right? And they're cooking more at home. Um, and we're trying to capitalize on that a little bit by by promoting it and promoting that. Here's surprisingly enough, a lot of people don't know how to cook rice, or they say that's one of the barriers that they have to consuming it which I don't really understand, but it is, it is what you hear. And so we're developing programs to try, to try to keep that consumption at the level that it is now, you know, and make sure that if people buy rice and it's in their pantry, that they, they know what to do with it and they consume it and then they go buy some more. So it's been positive in that regard and certainly the grown in the USA uh, piece of that. And I think you, you'd hear this from other, uh, other ag sectors that, you know, people want to support farmers and people want to support American farmers. And so to the extent we can continue to promote that, um, and even the knowledge that we grow it here, many people don't, you know, when you say rice, they think Asian or different, you know, they don't think uh, that, that, it's, that a lot of it is grown here. And when you tell them that it is and, we're, and tell them how to get it, they eagerly will do that. So we've, you know, we've had to shift like everybody else. We've had to pivot sort of how we're doing things, but we're really trying to keep that momentum going. And it's been, you know, I'm really proud of our industry in terms of not only, you know, putting a, another crop in the ground through all, throughout all this uh, this year, but also the mills and the 
processors who've done a really, really good job sort of making that logistical shift to more retail than in restaurants and keeping their workers safe. So we've had, you know, we've, we've been very blessed that that has all gone as well as it has. So we've talked a lot about export business. We've talked a lot about the domestic consumer. The outlook for your industry, where do you stand now as we're about to close the book on 20 and look to 21? Again, I think, you know, with this couple new things like China opening, I think that's, again, that's been a long-term goal of ours with this uptick in domestic consumption that we're trying to capitalize on and, and maintain. I think people feel pretty good overall. And I think the other key thing for farmers, obviously, is they got the crop in the ground. We had a lot of weather challenges this year, as you know, you know, poor Louisiana, but I mean, they, they, called, they said, we don't, we don't want to be part of the hurricane of the month club. I mean, this is enough with, uh, with three hurricanes and, you know, one a month. And, but that also impacted Arkansas and other and Missouri and other uh, Mississippi and other rice-growing regions. But they, they made it through. They, they've harvested their crop. It's a, it's a bigger crop than about, by about 20, 22% than last year. And, but also the quality is very good. So that, that puts everybody in a much better frame of mind. Betsy, I'm going to shift attention now to Washington. There's going to be new faces on Capitol Hill. Uh, Pat Roberts of Kansas stepping down. Mike Conaway yep. of Texas stepping down. And then as a result of the election, House Agriculture Committee Chairman Colin Peterson uh, not successful in his re-election bid. There will be a lot of new faces. So... Uh, how does that affect the rice industry? How does that affect agriculture to address these new faces on Capitol Hill? Well, I, you know, first of all, some of the folks that you just mentioned, Colin Peterson in particular, I mean, what a tremendous loss for everybody because he really was an incredible champion for agriculture. And so that that's a huge blow, I think, for all of agriculture. Uh, but, you know, we, we go through this cycle uh, frequently, right? So it's not like we haven't been here before. So we we go back out and we educate and we meet and we try to we try to um, get our issues before them. I think that we're very very fortunate in the rice industry to have great rice state leaders, right? So we've got um, you know people in all the six rice states that that are are our educators, right? We have Senator Bozeman in, in Arkansas, who's amazing, and, you know, all the others. So I think we're in a good position. Uh, we need to, obviously, part of the reason we're here is to make sure that they know what our issues are, but uh, we've got a lot, lot of good allies on, on the Hill, and uh, certainly within this administration, uh, and hopefully with the future administrations, whomever they are. I, I think there's been some losses for sure, but I think we, we build on that in the future with some of the new people. It's no secret that the word sustainability shows up more and more. There was a special committee in the House of Representatives this year that was looking at uh, sustainability and climate change. And I don't think it's a stretch to suggest that this word is going to continue to expand. There's plenty of discussion about whether agriculture can be a part of the solution for climate change, and some suggesting that the crops we raise, not only might we be paid for the crop, but also for the way that we raise the crop. Is that something that is of interest for rice producers? And do you have a sustainability story to suggest that you should have a place at the table? We absolutely do. And I think, you know, all of agriculture is working on sustainability and has been for some time in our 
our commitment goes back generations. Uh, we actually just put together a comprehensive report that looked at our efforts over the last 25 years and huge reductions in water use, energy use, greenhouse gas emissions, while we're increasing yields in, on our products. And we don't use GMOs, so it's really just been technology and innovation. Um, and and we use the conservation programs that are out there to great effect. We've used this uh, uh, regional conservation program, and we've been, we, we've been using that to help support conservation efforts on the ground. But rice also has a really incredible story to tell about biodiversity. So our rice fields are the new wetlands, right? And we provide critical habitat and food for all sorts of animals and birds. Uh, and, you know, the, the rice, the, the, the main rice growing areas in the United States, which is California Central Valley, Texas and Louisiana Gulf Coast, and the Mississippi Alluvial Valley, that's where all the ducks and waterfowl winter, right? So they provide incredible habitat for those species. And so that's a real great story that we have that's, I think, somewhat unique. And we just actually, um, as an industry, collectively decided to set our own sustainability goals for 2030. So we've just done that. Um, and they all are all about, it's all about continuing to improve. So we definitely have a seat at the table. Climate change legislation can be scary, I think, for people. But I think that agriculture needs to be there because I think we're part of the solution, frankly. Betsy, we want to thank you very much for your service to this industry, uh, not just uh, your work with your producers, but the industry overall and in the family of agriculture. Thank you for taking time to be with us on this edition of Open Mic. It is Open Mic, and today you have the last word. Well, thank you very much, Jeff. It's really been a pleasure, and I hope everybody stays safe. And I know that we're not alone in trying to navigate this new world order that we're in, but... Um, I'm confident that we'll all get through this and, um, and that our, our guys will keep growing a, a great product for the American consumer. Our thanks to the USA Rice Federation's Betsy Ward, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance, America's sugar farmers, practicing sustainability to protect the environment and support jobs, communities, and consumers. Learn more at sugaralliance.org. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nally.